You are listening to the episode three of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I'm Francine Billy, your host, and I'm thrilled to have you here with me today. Are you at a point in life where you are looking to create more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money, and lead a movement to change the world? Let's have a chat. Go to www.francinebelay.com slash podcast. That's www.francinebelay.com slash podcast and click on request a call button for more information. Today, I have the great pleasure to discuss with Suki Jutla. She's the founder of Market Orders, the B2B trade marketplace for gold jewelry and diamonds. She is the author of three books, including Escape the Cubicle, Quit the Job You Hate, Create a Life You Love. She's a regular keynote speaker and passionate about supporting female entrepreneurship. She's an IBM Blockchain Foundation developer and became the world's first number one best-selling blockchain author. Suki left a decade of corporate life to be an entrepreneur and is now listed as one of the top 100 Asian stars in UK tech. She's passionate to get people to really understand that there is more to life than just a desk job. She talked about the power of committed decision and following your curiosity. Suki also tells me how losing her dad helped her to better appreciate the incredible opportunities of life. Now let's dive in. Hi Suki, thank you for being on the show today. Hello Francine, it's really great to be here and thank you for that lovely introduction. Can you briefly um, tell us what is your corporate background? I know that you have a corporate background and why you decided to leave the corporate world to do your own thing. Yes, absolutely uh, Francine. So my background, you know, was very traditional. I went to um, college and I got three straight A's and then I didn't know what to do so I just sort of copied what everybody else was doing and everyone seemed to be going into something called investment banking so I didn't <laughs> I didn't have a clue I what that, that was. One too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really know what that was and at the same time I didn't really have some sort of strong desire as to what to do with my life so I did the next sort of thing that was expected of me which was to go to university and I just randomly picked economics and I you know I thought maybe that will sort of help me in the banking sphere and then I did that for three years uh, I really struggled through my degree to be honest because I realized I didn't have a clue what economics was and I didn't even enjoy mathematics and you know uh, shout you know if there's anyone considering to study economics there's a lot of mathematics involved <laughs> so you know you need to know and like your numbers and do that type of work so I sort of really struggled through it but I pushed myself through and I did well I did uh, you know uh, I got a, a great degree and then you know the next sort of step after that was to sort of go into this mythical world of investment banking so all of my friends around me were applying for internships at these incredible huge banks and getting paid loads of money so I thought mm, you know a lot of money sounds quite quite like a good deal so I ventured into banking I you know it, I my first job was at Citigroup and I got into like the one of those uh, uh, graduate schemes that ran for two years and you know Francine I think like it was literally after a week I just felt I was in the wrong place. Um, there was just something about, you know, the work, um, you know, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't sort of enjoy the environment or the atmosphere. Um, but it took me 10, over 10 years to actually wow. have the courage to leave that <laughs> environment and strike out on my own. And so, um, you know, uh, why did I decide to leave the corporate world to do my own thing? 
I think somewhere deep inside my soul and my heart, I always knew I wasn't the type who could just sit behind a desk and follow orders and commands. And I always think I'm a bit of a rebel at heart. <laughs> I always want to sort of explore my curiosities and, you know, sort of do different things. And what I didn't realize, and it's only when I look back at my experience, is that during the 10 years of working in the corporate world, I was actually always sort of dabbling around in different ideas and some of them ended up becoming some businesses and um, some just sort of fell flat on their faces but it's only now when I look back I see what I was trying to do I was actually trying to find sort of what my purpose was and that's where um, that's sort of um, the journey which led me to eventually write my book called Escape the Cubicle Quit the Job You Hate Create a Life You Love because I became very very obsessed with finding what my passion was. So as we were just speaking very briefly um, off air, I, the work I was doing, I didn't feel it was really impacting or making a difference the way I wanted to make a difference yeah. in my life. Yeah. So that's yeah. why, you know, um, I was always sort of looking to see what else I could be doing and something that sort of, you know, to sort of coin a typical quote, set my soul on fire mm. because I got very tired of waking up every single day and doing a three hour commute on squashed, you know, tubes and just it's hot and sweaty. And, you know, you get to the office and you don't even like the people you work with and you don't enjoy the work you do. And what I found was that life is actually all about energy. And, you know, when you are growing and you're blossoming, you're actually giving off a lot of energy and you're producing energy. And if you're doing something that you don't enjoy, what happens is it drains your energy. And that energy is your joy and your spirit of life. And I just think it's just such a shame if you live your life doing things you don't enjoy. So that was what eventually led me to finally escape the corporate world and then strike out on my own and create my own business and become an entrepreneur. Wow, that is awesome. Actually, you actually really explain how you find your call. And I think that this podcast, as I was explaining, is really about helping other people who might be at this stage where they know that there is more to do than what they are doing, right? So, and they perhaps don't know how to do it and giving them the perspective from different people and what other people have done to find it. So perhaps they can also find their path. So in terms of you writing the book, how on earth you, you, are you leaving the corporate before you write the book or you write the book and then you leave the corporate? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. So, so writing the book was like my other sort of business venture. I just decided I had enough of the corporate world. I'd had enough of this city life. And I decided that I just wanted to become an author and I wanted to become a total recluse and like live in an obscure cottage somewhere in <laughs> Scotland where no one could find me. <laughs> and so my book actually was, you know, I say it was birthed in 30 minute lunch break sessions. Wow. So the, yeah. So the first draft of my book, was actually written when I had just started another role and you know as usual I sort of you know there was a part of me that hoped you know Suki I really really hoped that I sort of like this role and you know maybe I could really get into it but after a week I was like yeah it's not going to happen mm -hmm. and so that's when I actually decided you know what Suki you have to make a decision and yep. it's not enough to make a decision you actually have to make a committed decision yep. <laughs> and when you make a committed decision it means you're going to do it no matter what so I decided, right, Suki, this is like the last contract you're going to do, you know, in banking in, in the city. And I said, I'm going to give, my, give myself six months to really start thinking about what I want to do. So I, for six months, I actually spent 30 minutes out of my lunch break just writing. And that's how uh, in, in the first six months, I actually had the, the draft of my book. Wow. So when I, when I made the decision to, you know, leave the corporate world and of course, you know, I'll share more tips, you know, I, I don't think it's sensible to just sort of quit you know and then have nothing to go to because um that can also be quite stress inducing okay. so um i had actually i did have a plan in place mm -hmm. and so i was at the place where i could sort of financially take that hit and you know i had enough savings saved up so i knew that i could sort of launch this business so i decided to um after the six months, I'd written uh, the first draft of my books. It was around 60,000 words. And I thought, right, now, if I really want to make this real, I need to sort of really commit time to it. Because the other thing we're doing, you know, doing a job you don't enjoy is, first of all, you're spending the majority of your time in a different location working for someone else. And then if you don't enjoy what you do, what I also noticed 
for me especially is even when I got home, my energy was totally drained. So I didn't even have that drive to actually want, you know, work on my own initiatives. So I said, I'm going to take some time out. And um, I spent another year actually after that, just refining the book. I, I hired a professional editor and yeah. cover designer, and then they helped me put it together. Yeah. But the first draft was actually created during my lunch break. So, wow. you know, I put 30 minutes aside for five, five days every week and I got it done. Yeah. So, you know, I always say to anyone, because a lot of people ask me, how, how do you go about writing a book? I say, just, just sit down and write. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. time yourself for 15 minutes and you can do it. Yeah. And I think that what you say is okay is very important and um, it's totally right. You know, even my book as well, I didn't write it in one go and I also wrote it bit by bit. Uh, but as you say, and I love that, it's committed decision. I love that. <laughs> commit the decision to do something and take as much as five minutes, 30 minutes, whatever you have to make it happen really and move that forward. And now tell me, I know also that you are quite praised on a blockchain book that you wrote. Why have you decided to focus your work on blockchain? Can you explain that? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, uh, during my banking days, I was actually predominantly focused on sort of the traditional parts of how the banks worked. Yeah. But on the periphery, there was like this talk about this new sort of stuff going on within the finance world. And that was called fintech. Mm -hmm. So that was like the only part of my job that I actually found quite interesting. And so I started to uh, take some extra time. So uh, this is like another thing about how to find your purpose. Follow your curiosity. That's true. That's and love. So, you yeah. are giving great <laughs> tips. <laughs> and, tips. And, and so that's what I did. I, I was just very interested in what fintech was. And it was essentially a mashup of the traditional finance world being completely disrupted using technology, but in a different way. So I started to use my spare time researching what fintech was, what the possibilities were in this industry, and how it could actually change the lives of many, many people. And as I got more involved in this, I started to go to uh, meetups, um, or if you go to eventbrite.com, there are loads of events that happen. So I started to go to a lot of fintech meetups. Uh, I met some people who were doing some very interesting things in the fintech world. And that's how I um, got um, you know, uh, involved in the first book uh, ever to come out on, on fintech. And you know, it's, it's, it's called the fintech book. <laughs> it's not very imaginative, <laughs> not very creative. Um, but I was one of the authors who contributed um, a section to the book. Mm -hmm. And my contribution was actually about how fintech is disrupting third world countries. Mm -hmm. And so I became very interested and really shocked as well to find out that there's like, you know, billions of people around the world who don't have a bank account. Now, that might not sound like a big deal, but if you don't have a bank account in some states or countries, you don't actually have an identity. Yeah. And if you have a business, you cannot take money out, you can't loan money out. So it's a, actually a very restrictive thing. And I just thought, wow, can you just imagine if fintech technology allows people in very poor countries who don't have access to laptops or PCs, but on their mobile phones, they can actually have banking using SMS technology. Mm -hmm. So I started to get very involved in that and just looking at all these um, you know, uh, interesting case studies. And so I continued following my curiosity. And, um, you know, um, I'm, as an author, I'm actually um, a member of this professional organization called the um, uh, Alliance of Independent Authors. Mm -hmm. And um, the founder of this uh, community was actually doing some research on fintech. And she was coincidentally reading the book that I had written. And then she saw my name in it. And she picked up the phone and said, Suki, I'm reading the fintech book because I'm really interested in learning about this. And, you know, can we have a chat? So, um, you know, I, I know this lady very well. And so it was, it was quite a nice little serendipity moment. We went for a coffee and she said to me that she had these incredible ideas about how blockchain, which is another sort of aspect of, uh, of fintech. Um, she wanted to sort of understand how blockchain could be used for authors and creatives and how it could, you know, how we could sort of, um, 
make sure that the person who creates the value gets uh, you know, recognized for it. Mm-hmm. So she asked me if I could actually help her to write a, um, um, sort of a book, which we call a white paper. It was like an investigative report as to what the opportunities for blockchain for authors could be. So it was supposed to be like a short report, but it ended up being a 10,000 word book. And so I co-authored that um, with a number of other experts. And um, we wrote a book called Blockchain for Books. Mm-hmm. And um, that paper really sort of really you know got me even more excited about you know what blockchain is and that's when I actually started to get really interested in what blockchain is what the possibilities are for authors and creatives and musicians and it this just really opened up an incredible new world to me and then on the back of that I um got talking to this incredible company based in Latvia called Publica. Um, and I got talking to the CEO and they are actually creating a blockchain based publishing platform. Yeah. So I was working with them and talking to them and I got very sort of involved in what they were doing. And, um, you know, we started working together and I actually published my book on, on their platform. So in April, 2018, mm-hmm. um, I became uh, the first author in the world to have a book published on the blockchain. So that was really incredible. And, um, you know, as I continued my partnership with Publica, I've now uh, on boarded with them as an advisor. So Mm. full disclosure, um, I am an advisor with Publica now. Um, And I just, you know, got very interested in in the amazing things that they're doing. And, you know, just like... um, the opportunities that blockchain can bring and as I was learning more and more about this I actually started to think about how I could use blockchain in my business which is market orders and market orders is you know completely different it's a uh, b2b platform and what we do is we help source um, uh, gold and diamond products uh, wholesale so we we talk to the manufacturers and uh, get it distributed to uh, independent jewelers and so um, that's when I started to understand you know how blockchain could be applied to the gold industry and you know just following my curiosity I started to take uh, more sort of uh, courses in this uh, industry and then earlier this year I I also became an IBM blockchain um, foundation developer just because I really wanted to understand it. So, so that was my journey. You know, that, is, no... <laughs> that is fantastic. Can you tell me between the time that you started to really get involved in blockchain or having this interest that blockchain or fintech perhaps, and now how long it took you to get there? Um, so I think, uh, I mean, I left the corporate world in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm two years on in my journey. So mm-hmm. I would say that it's only in the last year wow. that I really became interested in uh, blockchain and fintech. And, so you know, only in one year you were able to do the whole day? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is great. So tell me, I think that you, I'd like you to define briefly what blockchain is because some people still have hard time to understand what actually this blockchain is, but in a very plain English way, <laughs> no yeah. ledger or anything else. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so I was the same, Francine. I didn't really understand what it was, but in its very, very essence, right? All the blockchain does is it allows transactions to happen directly between you and I. Mm-hmm. So, you know, many, many years ago when civilization was, you know, born or started, people were trained with each other directly. So, you know, they would have, you know, if I was selling lemons and you had, uh, I don't know, eggs. Cows, exactly. Yeah, we could just, you know, barter. So we were exchanging value that we had each created. And then between the two of us, we would come to some sort of agreement as to what that value exchange equated. And then once we were both happy with that transaction, the transaction would take place. Mm. So there are two parties in this transaction. Now, as civilization, you know, grew, there was, you know, they found that swapping potatoes for bananas and cows and all that stuff wasn't very scalable, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, to use a very entrepreneur word. Exactly. Um, and so this is where uh, the banks came in and the concept of money came in. So, you know, like a $5 note doesn't actually mean anything, it, but it represents some sort of value and then you exchange it for something else so when this uh, um, money system came in um, a bank had to come into operation because the 
paper is essentially worthless. But if I could present it to the bank, then the bank could guarantee that, yes, I will be able to give you five pounds for this. Mm. So the bank became what I see as the third arm in the transaction. And I always say, um, you don't want three arms. You want two arms, right? Because <laughs> that's why we've got two. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So the problem with having the third arm or a third party is you've now created like this uh, wall between the two people who are transacting and that actually produces a friction cost mm -hmm. so uh, you know if you think of uh, credit cards your mastercard you're having to pay extra because they're doing a, a service for you mm -hmm. now if someone is, is doing providing a service then it's uh, totally okay to pay uh, but what's happened in recent years is that there is a lot of the value is getting sucked by sucked into these middlemen and the people who actually create the value no longer actually get compensated for the work they do. So I'll give you a very like basic example um, with books on the blockchain. Um, I sell my book on Amazon. Amazon then uh, collects, uh, if I sell a book online, they then collect the money from the reader and then that money is going to be sent to me mm -hmm. but they will only give me 70% off the book's price so they yeah. take 30% cut but on top of that they actually only pay me six months later mm -hmm. so every time I make a sale they only pay me six months later and I'm also fully reliant on them telling me what sales are made. Mm. But now with Publica, I get 90% of my sales because 10% is the, you know, the, the service fee that I pay. But when I sell a book to you, Francine, it doesn't go through Publica. It will go directly to you and it will sit in your, your app and it belongs to you forever. Yeah. Now for the first time ever, you can actually resell that book. So digital files never had a secondhand value, but you can now uh, trade this book with someone else and then you'll get paid for it. And when you, when you actually sell my book, um, because of something, there's like a contract that's coded into the agreement, I actually get like 10 or 20% um, back coming back to me. So what's happening is, the value creator always gets, you know, uh, compensated for the work they do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you mentioned the word ledger. Mm -hmm. A ledger is just, you know, two people <laughs> transacting mm -hmm. and uh, the, the bank is like the middle entity, but you've just taken them out. Yeah. So what blockchain really does is allows uh, two parties to transact directly. And now the other aspect of blockchain is, um, so, you know, the, the actual word blockchain, it's actually just blocks of data mm -hmm. that are stuck together to create a chain. Yeah. And every time a block of data is uh, encoded or encrypted, you can never go back and, and change the record. So, for example, if you open a Word document and you write something and you save it, you send me the file, I can open it, I can change what you've done and send it back to you. And then I can say to you, you never wrote what you did. So there's no record of it. So what blockchain does is it allows a record from the source all the way to the end consumer and nothing can ever get changed. Everything is encoded because of something called a consensus network. Wow. And um, yeah, and a consensus yeah. network is just these different computers who are trying to figure out if that transaction is true or if it's false. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I think that your explanation of blockchain is one of the best I've ever heard. And uh, thank oh, you thank very you. much for, you know, uh, this, I, I could go on and ask you many questions, but that will be some digital uh, platform or some kind of other podcast, not this one. Now, what I want to ask you, um, Suki, is um, this part is about meaningful work and meaningful life. What is your definition of meaningful work and meaningful life? Oh, that's such a great question, Francine. And, you know, something that I've sort of battled with over the <laughs> decade when I was in the corporate world. So I think, you know, to be honest, um, a meaningful work and meaningful life, really, 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 what, I've, what I understand it to be is being the best version of yourself mm. and fully accepting who you are and what you have to offer. And every one of us is so different. And each one of us have our own strengths. And I always call it, you know, your unfair advantage. You have something that you can do better than anyone else that ever can. So it's in your interest to, to be the best at it. And whenever you are really good at something, the chances are you also enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't really be good at something you hate. Yeah. So 
I think um, having uh, meaningful work means really leaning into the strengths, the things that you are very good at doing. And when you do something that you're good at, it sort of brings you a sense of satisfaction and joy. Mm. And what's my definition of a meaningful life? I would say, you know, it is having um, gratitude for where you are because I always think when I wake up in the morning, I want the lottery of life by the mere fact of being born to parents who supported me, being born in a country where I have healthcare and mm -hmm. I have a free education and I have these opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, a meaningful life is one where you're at peace with yourself mm -hmm. and you're striving to do something that is of benefit to others as well. So mm -hmm. it's about, you know, ser servitude. And I'm always thinking about how, how can my work serve others and as well as serving myself. Yeah. And, um, you know, a meaningful life as well. You know, I love this topic. I think it's also about fulfillment and happiness and being in the best shape that you can be mentally, emotionally and physically as well. Yeah, that's awesome. When did you realize who you are and what you are meant to do in life? <laughs> yeah, so um, I think it's, you know, um, so, um, you know, the reason it took me so long to leave the corporate world and, you know, even though I hated what I did most of, you know, most of the time, why did it take me so long? And I think it's because um, um, about four years ago, I lost um, three people in my family mm. and one of them was my father. So that really hit me hard, hit me really, really hard. Um, he, was, he was pretty young. He was only in his 50s and it was completely unexpected. And when that happened, it really sort of um, forced me to actually take a really good look at my life. And I could see how much my father was really struggling towards the end and how much like the human soul wants to survive and wants to live. And here I was with all these incredible opportunities and all I was doing was wasting my time yeah. and complaining about the things I wasn't happy with in my life. So I think, you know, um, um, I might have just deviated from your question a bit, um, but I think that's, um, that's how I discovered what, what it was I wanted to do. And mm -hmm. it's at that point I decided I really wanted to live a full life um, as part of my father's legacy because he didn't get to do all the things and all the dreams. You know, he, he left with unfulfilled dreams. And I think that's one of the saddest things um, a human being can go through because we, we are here to express our greatness and express our potential. And I believe each one of us has something really special and really unique to offer. So I wake up every day and, you know, when I'm having a tough day, I always say I'm going to do this for my dad because I know he'd be like really proud of me. And I know that I'd be living my dreams for him. Wow. So okay. Oh my gosh, it, this just reminds me so much for myself as well. And uh, what you just say resonates so much because my dad also died last year and I've realized that exactly what you just say, you know, he has died with unfulfilled dreams. And also I, I, I really trying, it, it just gave me a kick and I was in the middle of m writing my book where, you know, I could have said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to be that sad, but actually was the opposite, total opposite, saying, I have now to finish this book. I have now to do what I always wanted to do now, because tomorrow, I don't know what is going to happen. It just makes you realize when you lose somebody that, you know, it gives you, as you say, a kick. And, and the, the scariest thing for me is to, you know, die without fulfilling some of my dreams it really that's the scary things for me actually this is why i'm just doing whatever i want to do and you know what you just say is totally 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 that you know complaining for just small things you know it just real it, we just it just make us realize life is so short go for your dream and you know what is the worst thing that can happen in your life what is perhaps one of some of the toughest moments that you find out that actually it was a blessing in this guide. Can you remember some, some instance that was so hard in your life that actually finally you find that it was a blessing? Yeah, so that's a, another great question. And, you know, we, we, no one really wants to go through challenges and obstacles, no, right? But, um, no, but um, what, what I've also learned is those are actually the instances that 
to ha- have, have the greatest teachings for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I started my business market orders two years ago, about a year into running the business, um, I decided I wanted to raise some um, uh, capital growth, uh, capital uh, so funding. Um, so I decided to, um, you know, go out into the startup scene and speak to angels and venture capitalists and venture firms. And um, it was, you know, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing and I had no clue uh, sort of who to talk to because I, I wasn't really sort of clued up in this industry. So it was very hit and miss. Um, and I was told lots of horror stories and, you know, it's very difficult. But I thought, you know, how hard can it be? So within six weeks, I actually secured £250,000. So I was like super happy. And I thought, you know, what's everyone complaining about? You know, I I just literally walked into this money. It's amazing, fantastic. And then, um, you know, the challenges started. So what I didn't realize is it's not really about how much money you raise. It's all about the terms that you raise it on and it's also very important to really see who you're taking those funds from because Mm -hmm. it's like a marriage you're going to be stuck with these people for a very long time (laughs) and so um you know after six weeks of raising that money um started like another two months of very sort of painful negotiations with this particular venture capital firm and you know during those uh conversations i felt very uncomfortable with the terms that they were proposing. And I also felt, you know, a a lot of the time, the power dynamics were such that I was always sort of made to feel like I should just be grateful and I should take this, this money and I didn't know better. And I just decided after that two months of painful negotiations, and I thought, if this is how the relationship is and we haven't even taken their money I said it's going to be a lot more difficult after we've taken the cash Mm. so I made a decision alongside my co-founder to actually not take the money (laughs) now when you walk away from a quarter of a million pounds everyone in the world is going to tell you how incredibly stupid you are (laughs) and how you've just made the biggest mistake of your life Mm -hmm. and so I felt very very down for for like a week so I was just in bed with Netflix and a big tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. (laughs) And I just felt like such a failure. I just felt, what have I done wrong? You know, um, why couldn't I close that deal? Or, you know, what was wrong? But then when I reflect back on it, Francine, I made that decision from my heart because I knew I wasn't happy with the terms and I knew that this wouldn't be good for myself or my team or my business. And what I realized was it takes a way more courage to walk away from money sitting on a table than it does to just take it. And the reason why that actually turned out to be a very positive thing is because when I turned that money down, I became even more fearless and even more relentless to become um, much more creative and resourceful. Mm -hmm. So even though I needed the funds, I became very creative and I started to become more resourceful with the things I had and, you know, leveraging the network I had around me. And I also, you know, one of my key sort of um, mantras is to be fearless. You know, I became more fearless and I had over... um, a hundred meetings after that, uh, after that episode in just three months. And I just kept going out talking to angel investors and other potential contacts. And every no I got just made me even more determined and even more stronger. And, you know, um, I, I just feel like there's no amount of books or, uh, you know, um, advice you can get uh, from other people other than actually going through that yourself and so that experience I would say is priceless and I would say turning that down really has got me um, a lot in a better situation that I could have ever imagined yeah no that's great I love the earlier your follow your curiosity but I also love your follow your gut instinct now because you know I think that will take you to the right place you know even if in the moment it doesn't look like it you know in 
in in in um after a few months of a, a long time you'll really understand why you made that decision without really understanding at this moment tell me how when you look back at your childhood how would you say that it has prepared you to be who you are today or perhaps who you are not i i've, I've also detected that you're a bit of rebel where you <laughs> can you uh, you know when you look back tell us you know how your childhood has prepared you to be who you are actually now sure yeah what, what another great question um so yeah i was always um one of those very quiet kids so I'm, I'm an introvert and I'd spent countless hours in the library and I was just a, a right book nerd so I had a huge love and passion for reading and writing so now that I'm, I'm an author of three books I just couldn't be happier because it was always one of my life goals to write one book and to have three <laughs> just as icing on a cake so um, yeah, I'm really happy that was always one of my childhood dreams but I was also someone as a child who was very curious and mm. sort of just following up on my curiosity and that used to happen in the library so I would just pick up random books and just read them and just see where they led and then after I read that book I would look at the bibliography or the references and then that, that would launch me off onto another journey and I'd you know read those books and so I was someone who actually um who was quite quiet but very focused mm. um and you know during uh, my education, I was very much the person who was always coloring inside the boxes and doing everything I could to please my teachers. And I was like a straight A student. Um, but I think um, how I think that sort of taught me actually to a certain extent that you cannot just keep coloring inside the box and listening to what other people keep telling you to do. And I think that's where my little rebel streak started to come out because I thought, you know, some people would say to me, oh, you've spent this many years in the corporate uh, career, you know, leaving now after 10 years would just be a really bad decision. But I think, no, it's not. I think you need to take these risks and, you know, life is ever changing. Mm. You, you cannot just, you know, be one thing all the time. Yeah. Unless you want to. But I think that naturally our thoughts um, are always going to change and our mindset is always going to change as we grow and evolve. Mm. And I've also sort of come to understand that as much as nature has its seasons, you know, you have four seasons in nature. I think um, the human life also cycles in seasons as well. So you will have periods where, you know, you might have a, a couple of really bad or difficult months or years, but I always believe like the spring will come and yeah. when it blossoms, you know, there's another opportunity there as well. Yeah. So I think being, you know, it's my childhood was very much sort of almost living in fear. I was always the one doing the homework. I didn't want to get told off by my teachers. And then I just thought, you know, if you just sort of color outside the lines, it's actually quite exciting. You're not going to get in trouble and so I just wanted to embrace that fearlessness. And uh, I think I was always very fearless as a kid, actually. Wow. And I'm just glad that I'm, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm expressing that more that now. Exactly. So what would you say is your superpower today? Okay, so I think um, a superpower, mine would probably be um, being aware of what my strengths are and actually understanding myself better as a person. Mm -hmm. So I spent many years trying to be better at the things I was never good at in the first place. <laughs> and it it reminded me. me something as well. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I really... I'm not a fan of spreadsheets or financial data, even though I spent 10 years in the corporate world. And I spent so long trying to figure out how it all works. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just not going to bother with this. I'm just going to get someone who can do it for me. And by doing that, it actually frees up your time to become, you know, uh, spend your time doing what you're really good at. So by sort of really understanding myself and how did I do that practically? Um, I started meditating. So mm. I've been meditating for over like six or seven years. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I really started to understand what my strengths were. And my strengths are actually being able to work uh, very diligently um, and uh, in a very focused way, mm -hmm. um, you know, for uh, quite a long period of time. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm not someone who really relishes a lot of social contact. I'm quite happy to be left on my own and just yeah. get on with the yeah. job at hand. Yeah. yeah, because you are focused and you know what mm. to do, actually. And for anybody listening now and who doesn't have this meaningful work or, you know, how can they transition from this mundane job that perhaps they are doing to something more meaningful? Can we give some, some, some tips for some people to, to follow? Yes. So I would, I would always say, you know, follow your curiosity and follow what gets your interest. So we are like receptors in this world, you know, loads of stuff is going on, but there are some things that you will be pulled to more than anyone else will. And now the reason we don't sort of lean into that is because the first thing I think most of us, especially in the Western world, think about is, oh, is it going to make me money? Yeah. Ha-ha. <laughs> We're going to talk about money yeah. soon. <laughs> and, uh, Actually. Yeah. And, yeah. and money really um, is, is not the end goal. And that's mm. what I've also discovered in my mm. journey of this, you know, self-discovery. Money is just um, a resource and it's a form of energy and it's a form of exchange. So, you, you know, um, I, I, it, it's, and money is also an end result of creating value. So I would say focus less on how to sort of accumulate money uh, and focus more just in the first instance, especially if you're still in a day job, because it's a perfect way to really establish what your passions are. Really lean into the things that get your curiosity. So maybe you're someone who likes to walk a lot or maybe you like to go to museums. Um, you know, a, a, a really fast way actually to see what your interests are is grab a, a newspaper and what's the first thing that you gravitate towards you know some people go straight to the celebrity section some <laughs> people go straight to the beauty section some people go to the sports section i know i used to always go and read the entrepreneur profiles <laughs> and any newspaper i had i'd go right where's the business section i want to see what startups have started and i want to see how this particular successful person made their life so i was i was utterly obsessed with very successful people yeah. and understanding what they did yeah and so then i would say is very slowly very gently just lean into that so if you have an interest in something why not just listen to a couple of youtube videos or podcasts on that topic maybe do something in that you know area like a friend of mine has a love of gardening so that she started to do floristry courses and you know I think the other important aspect here is at this very early stage where you're still in the very you know, self-discovery mode, um, just be gentle and be playful. You know, don't have that expectation that this is what your job's going to be. You know, um, all those years ago, uh, I thought I would be a full-time author like Stephen King. And after writing my first book, I felt like pulling all my hair out because it's a really <laughs> difficult thing to it do, is. right? <laughs> so, you know, be careful what you wish for because you exactly. might just get it. <laughs> yeah. So now, yeah, you, we, you anticipated a little bit about money. And now I'd like to talk a little bit about money and how actually... Uh, uh, of course, you say that money is a result of what you do, the value that you deliver. And I also want to see how, when you are passionate, because some people sometimes have some passion, but find it very, very, very difficult to monetize that and or to get paid well for that. Can How can they do that? You know, I'm interested about your perspective on that. Mm. Okay, so um, like I said, money is really uh, the byproduct of value. So the number one question you should be asking yourself is what are you producing and what are you creating that is going to be of value to someone else? So all you're really doing is you're serving someone and in return, they're going to give you this thing called money. And, now, you know, in the world that we live in, Francine, you know, everything is like online and the Internet has just opened up so many incredible opportunities yeah. for us to actually monetize what we're creating. So I would say, look out, first of all, what you're creating. Is it content? Is it written or is it um, audio? Or is it a product or is it a book or is it a, a music file? So think about what does that product look like? Mm -hmm. And it could look like in many different ways and you know it could be a service that you're providing your product yeah. could be one hour off massage or you know um, gardening work something like that and then what I would say is look at the different ways you can package that product and get it to your customer I mean if you look at Deliveroo which is almost like a billion dollar company they do nothing other than deliver Anything. take out food right they are just a logistics company they do not 
uh, create food. They, they've taken the value someone's created. So Pizza Express created that product. Now Deliveroo, their service is to get that product to you mm-hmm. because you can't be bothered to go and pick it up. Right? <laughs> You're watching Netflix, right? <laughs> exactly. And yet there are people willing to pay for that. Uh-huh. So then I would also uh, say, look, try to do some research as to who is willing to pay you for that. Because what you're doing is you are like a paracetamol for their pain point. Mm-hmm. So that's the way you should see it. Yeah. So for example, in my business market orders, mm-hmm. I am a B2B platform. Many investors have asked me and said to me and advised me that I should really be a B2C business because look, there's lots of money to be made there. But that's not who I'm serving because mm-hmm. I know that there's a specific pain point that mm-hmm. jewelers on the high street experience and what I provide is something that makes their life easier. Mm-hmm. And then based on that, they, there's a, there's a, you know, um, a value exchange. Yes. Yes. That is a very awesome perspective, you know, and uh, I think that, yes, looking that from that lens of really understanding where the value is and how you package that to be delivered to who you are serving is a really great way of thinking about, you know, merging that passion and getting finally the money. Uh, Now we are coming to the last section, which is actually building a movement. And I love the saying that says, um, don't start a company, start a movement. Um, So what do you think about that? Would you say that you are starting a movement or a company? That's a great question as well. So, um, yeah, that really got me thinking. So I think there is a big difference. There mm-hmm. is. I mean, if you just start a company, um, it's almost like you've just created this infrastructure, like, like a house, okay, and um, you're trying to do something with it. But when you start a movement, that's the party going on inside the house, right? And that party is where, you know, the food is and the music is. So you've actually created this community of people that you are serving and you know you're you're giving that value exchange as well so i do um think it is a movement um you know when i was reading this question and relating it to my uh, my business i was asking myself what's the movement i'm creating with my products for example so you know with my book escape the cubicle that is not just um a book or a product it is a movement i am i am reaching out to people who are in uh, corporate jobs or dead-end jobs that they really don't want but they want to do something more and so that movement i'm also creating and uh, as you are is about trying to get these people to really understand that there's more to life than just you know uh, that corporate desk job and you know really going out there and, and living living your your vision and I think a company also has to have a vision as well it's not just creating that house uh, or creating you know um, filing the documents so that you created a company because it's what's inside that company that is essentially going to um, you know uh, determine how successful you will be and how many people you will serve yeah great so and how would you want to be remembered for (laughs) oh a great question so um (laughs) I guess I'd want to be remembered for someone who was just really fearless and someone who is a go-getter. And um, those are actually two of my mantras in life. And I hope that, you know, whatever, whatever I'm doing in my life, if it serves as a beacon of inspiration or motivation for someone who's just a few uh, steps uh, you know, behind me on the ladder, um, then that would just be, um, you know, something that I'd be very honored and humbled, humbled to be remembered by because there's many people who I look up to as role models and inspirations. And what really gets me um, is, you know, when someone very generously shares uh, their experiences and generously gives and wants to basically make the world um, a slightly better place. So what do I want to be remembered for? I'd, I'd say someone who is... Um, uh, a lot of fun, someone I, I could learn from, someone who was inspiring and motivating, and above all, she was just damn fearless. Good. Yeah. So if, <laughs> if you have to relive your life today, knowing what you know, um, what will you do and what will you not do, no longer do? Yeah, that, that's a, another great question <laughs> and a really easy one for me. I would say just ah. don't, don't hesitate. You know, ah. go, go for what you want. 
um, you know, because that hesitation is nothing but fear and fear is nothing but the thoughts you've just created in your own head. So I would say, you know, go for what it is you really want to do because ne- there will never be a right time because the right time is right now. Yeah. <laughs> so just go for it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. So now can you share some resources that our listeners should absolutely know about and uh, how to really uh, go about creating this meaningful work and live a meaningful life? Sure. Something that you have used or that have helped you or that you have produced, anything at all. Yeah, great. So um, I'm... um, quite a big podcast listener and mm. I also read a lot of books so and you know some of the podcasts I listen to and even just on YouTube is just like motivational content so I'm, a, I'm quite a big fan of Tim Ferriss mm-hmm. who wrote the four-hour work week yep. and his book actually really inspired me to you know get moving on my dreams and goals yeah um, I also love reading Seth Godin's blog so it's yep. just Seth Seth's blog I love reading his content he's just such um an incredibly gifted man and you know very humble and a lot of kindness as well so I think that's fantastic Mm. and then I think one of the books I would recommend to many people is I just finished reading it recently the autobiography of a yogi Um, that was a really great book that really got me thinking about what it is I really want to do with my life Mm. and um, another one of my favorite books is The Surrender Experiment and The Untethered Soul Uh, both of them are by Michael A. Singer and those books really taught me how to really let go uh, uh, and stop being controlling about the things I can't, um, you know, influence and even the people I can't influence because the only person you can exert any control is yourself. Mm. So it's all about how do you become a master of yourself because yeah. then can you actually make a really great impact to the world? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are my top resources. Yeah. Cool. So how can people reach you uh, uh, and learn more about what you're doing? Sure. So I am usually quite active on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So uh, just uh, find me on LinkedIn, Suki Jutler. And I also have um, a website called SukiJ.com, but I may be changing that soon. (laughs) Just find me on uh, on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter and on Facebook. And you've got all the other relevant links to me there as well. Good. Thank you. I'll put that in the notes uh, later. So thank you very much, Suki, for your time and sharing all this great wisdom. It was a pleasure to talk to you and, you know, I'll really um, admire what you're doing and with the blockchain and everything else. And really, you know, it was such a pleasure and fun to have you on this show. Thank you, Francine. It was a lot of fun. And thank you so much as well for having me on this show and keep doing the amazing work that you're doing because you're also an inspiration to many women out there. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much. The show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebelay.com slash podcast, with all the references and resources shared by Suki. That's francinebelay.com slash podcast, F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I dot com slash podcast. Whilst you are there, leave me a message in the comment section and let me know about your key takeaway from this episode. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your love and support, subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the app where you are listening to this podcast, and leave me a five-star review. It will take you a minute, but it will mean a lot to me, and help me know that it is serving people out there. So, remember... I am giving away a few digital packs of my book, Personal Branding in the Digital Age, to celebrate the launch of this new podcast and help you kickstart your success in 2019. It includes the ebook, the audiobook, and the editable playbook to create your personal brand roadmap. To have the chance to win one of the digital packs, go to where you are listening to this podcast leave me a review and post that review on one of my social media channels, on Twitter, on Instagram, or on Facebook, whichever, and tell me that you have left a review for your chance to win one of those digital packs of my book, Personal Branding in the Digital Age. So I'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Until then, dream 
act and make an impact. Lots of love.